Well, it is great to be with you. I'm uh, still reeling from some of the shock. Not as young as I used to be, and my heart's a little less, you know, kind of, but I'm, I'm, I'm gathering it, pulling myself together. But uh, great, great to be, be here. And uh, if we haven't met, my name's Dean, and uh, as you do know about me, I turned 40 this weekend. So it's uh, great just to be with you, though, and to be with uh, our, our whole church family. It's just an awesome thing, awesome thing. And appreciate the, the, the song and the confetti. It's so festive. And I also... I'm, I'm finding I'm more forgetful these days as well. But I remember, we are, we are kicking off a series today and, uh, that we're going to be doing over this next four weeks in the scriptures called Joy Unspeakable. And we're going to be talking about this whole idea uh, over this next four weeks. This comes out of a, a verse uh, that I want to read for you as we kick this off from 1 Peter 1, verse 8. And there, Peter's writing this letter. He's writing to some believers in Christ. And he takes a moment to kind of say, here's what I see in you. Here's what I, I, I love about you. Here's what I'm affirming in you. And he just describes them. He just says, this is what you're like. And he says, though you have not seen him, though you've not seen Jesus, Peter was someone who had gotten to see him with his eyes, walk with him, know him. Uh, he says to these people, though you've not seen him, you love him. He says, I lo you love him. And even though you don't see him now, he says, you, are, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He says, even though you don't see him, you love him, you believe in him, and you are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. The old King James version of this translates that last section. You're filled with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And he's painting this picture that to know Christ, that these Christians, these early followers of Christ, that here's what they were like. They were full of this joy unspeakable. It's like it's so, this joy is inexpressible. You've got this just kind of quality about you that it just kind of can't be spoken or described. It's just who you are. And this, this very phrase as well that comes out of the King James, joy unspeakable, it's, what, it's the title as well of a book by the same name by Martin Lloyd-Jones where he writes about this whole idea. I encourage you, it's a, a book well worth reading. And, uh, and what we want to think about, because when I read this, I know I was challenged by it, and I thought, you know what, I, I hope and I desire uh, that if people knew me and they were to write something about me, uh, or a letter to me that they might say that same thing about me. That you know what, you know what Dean is like? He is filled. He doesn't, he's, he knows Christ. He believes in Christ. He loves Christ. And he is full of this joy that's just kind of inexpressible and this unspeakable joy in his life. And I thought, I hope I have that in my own life and I want that more and more. And maybe and my hope for you is that you might find yourself saying, you know what, I want that kind of life. I want to follow Christ. I want to, I want to know that kind of joy. Now, I want you to know something. We're not talking about uh, a, sort of a, a fake happiness where you just look at the world and say, well, I'm just going to be happy all the time. That is not at all what this is talking about. This is talking about a joy that is so deep within, it just exists independent of how life is going. I love what Tim Keller says about this verse. He says, the thing about knowing the gospel is it actually, it sometimes makes us more sad, but it also makes us more joyful. It makes us more sad because we really understand the gospel and the scriptures. We understand the brokenness of the world with a greater depth than we could have before. 
but we also at the same time get to hold on to a greater joy than we could have experienced because our hope is so much greater than it ever could have been. You see, these early believers this was written to, they actually were, uh, they were, the thing that's so fascinating to me about this verse is, you know what was going on in their life at the time Peter wrote this, is they were beginning to experience persecution. They were beginning to experience what it was like to be marginalized because of their faith in Christ. Maybe to lose livelihoods because of their faith in Christ. They were beginning to experience what would grow into worse and worse persecutions over time. And Peter wants to write to them and encourage them. And I read that and I think, if these people who are experiencing, we live in perhaps one of the most privileged times in all of human history as Christ followers, and these guys were living in one of the, the hardest times, and yet they were filled with this joy unspeakable. How much more could that door be opened up in our lives? You know, and, and is our, our, our lives, are they full? Now here's what, so what I want to invite you on over this next few weeks is we're just going to look at, you know what, if there's a part of you that thinks, you know, maybe there is more. Maybe there could be more joy, deeper joy in my life. Maybe there is a possibility that I could know more of that kind of quality of life. A deeper love for Jesus. That, you know what, when we sing on Sundays that there would be a love for Christ that just grows deeper and bigger in my heart. If you and, and that there could be a joy in my life that's just growing deeper and bigger than my circumstances. If you think, you, if you know, I would like more of that, that's what this next few weeks is going to be all about. And we're going to track what does it look like to, to pursue more of God. Because what it really boils down to is not going to be a list of try this, do that, work a little harder over here. Stop just thinking that what it boils down to is how do we allow the Spirit of God to do more in our lives. You see, what we're going to be tracking with this over is the next few weeks as we lead up to uh, May 20th is the day we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. If you're new to church, what it is, it's a day you may be familiar with two of the big events on the kind of Christian calendar, if you will. Uh, Christmas, we all know where we celebrate the gift of God's Son coming into this world. Easter, we all uh, know and it's celebrated widely in our culture. This is when Jesus died and rose again. Pentecost Sunday is the day we remember the gift of God's Spirit poured out for us. That, that we can now know God in a present way. And so we're going to spend a few weeks as we lead up to that day reflecting on how we know more of the work of the Spirit in our lives because experiencing what those early believers experienced, a love for Christ, a deep, unspeakable joy, it's a matter of opening ourselves up to more of what the Spirit wants to do in us. So we're going to kick it off this week, uh, beginning to explore kind of that question. How do we allow God's spirit to do more in our lives uh, by looking at some of Jesus' kind of last teaching about the work of the spirit that comes to us from the beginning of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, this is a book written uh, just after Jesus is, it's going to pick us up right where Jesus has ascended back to heaven. And it kicks off like this. In my former book, Theophilus, now this is uh, Luke writing here. Luke is a doctor. We don't know his last name, so we just can call him Dr. Luke. He was pretty casual with his patients, insisted they call him on a first name basis. Dr. Luke wrote what we know as the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. He wrote two different books, and this is his second one, and he says this. In my former book, in the first one, the Gospel, what we know as Gospel of Luke, says Theophilus, who was probably a wealthy Greek guy, money was, ex or, uh, paper was expensive, cost a lot of money, papyrus, what they would use. If you wanted to write a book, that was not going to be a cheap endeavor. Theophilus was likely bankrolling uh, the work that he was doing. And so he says, look, in my former book, I wrote about 
all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I chose this passage today because it highlights how 40 is a very biblical Jesus-like number. And just one we should all just uh, celebrate. And, um, but uh, he, he, so Luke writes this. And what I love about this, this, the way he begins this, and this is what's critical. If you find yourself saying, you know, I don't want to open myself up to more of the work of God in my life, more of the work of the Spirit in my life. I believe there could be more of a love for Christ I could know. I believe there could be more joy that I can know in my life. What you have to understand is what these couple simple words here remind us of. When Luke says that in my book, in the Gospel of Luke, in the New Testament, what I was writing about was all that Jesus began to do. Now, why is that so key? Because it is so important, critically important that we understand this. That the New Testament and all that it teaches about Jesus is not just like a history of what Jesus did then and there. And then it's sort of like, well, and then he finished. And then this stuff all was done. And now we live in the, you know, years and years later. And all we can do is look back and just study what happened then. No, no, no. Everything that he was doing then, that was just the beginning. He's still doing stuff today. And while it's maybe not the most precise way of saying it, we have to wrap our minds around this idea. Jesus is still doing stuff. He's still at work today. I think, and, in, in, you know, if you're someone who's new to faith, you may think that this is just a book about what happened then and there. No, no, what it tells us is that Jesus is alive and he's continuing to do these things. We can know him, not then, now. And if you're someone who's a, maybe a longtime follower of Christ, sometimes I think it can be easy as we just go through life to start to slip into unconsciously becoming someone who thinks Jesus did stuff then, but he doesn't really do a lot today. And we have to remind ourselves he's still doing stuff today. The New Testament is just the beginning of what he's doing. Do you know how much hope and joy can be infused into your life, when you awake each day knowing the possibility that Jesus is at work, that actually on, on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, you can wake up with hope. You can wake up with joy. Not because everything's perfect, but because Jesus is still there and he's still alive and he's still doing stuff today. This is a, if we're going to begin to open ourselves to the possibility of more. We have to not just at a, like, yep, I know he's still alive. I know he's not in the grave. We have to at a functional level begin to believe that Jesus is still alive and doing things. Craig Rochelle, uh, he writes a lot of books, and he had one he wrote. It was called Christian Atheist. And he, and he wrote this book, and his whole point was sometimes uh, we, we kind of get things a little bit mixed up in our thinking. And one of the stories he tells was of a, a pastor, and I think there was a, uh, 
the, this, this, there was a, a club of some sort that, let's just say, it was of a seedy reputation. And it had come in nearby to their church. And so the, the pastor said, you know, we should get the whole congregation. Uh, we should pray, you know, that something will happen because this is not a good thing. It's, it's bad. It's bad for the community. It's bad for church. They started praying, and then lightning struck this place and burned it down. And then the owner of it wanted to take the pastor to court and said, this is your fault. You know, you prayed. Now lightning struck down my establishment. And so it goes to court, and then the pastor was like, the judge like, is that true? Did you pray? And the pastor's like, I did, but I didn't think anything would happen, you know? And, and the whole point of the story was something, you're like, the, the owner of the establishment, he had more faith than the pastor, than the, the Christian did. He's like, well, you prayed, then now God listened, and he did something. And the, I didn't, well, I prayed, but I didn't think he still did anything, you know? And, and the whole point is, how often do we end up doing this? We don't mean to, but we just slip in and say, well, sure, and I'll pray about it. But we don't expect Jesus would actually still do stuff. And, and here's, here's the thing. And, you know, if you've got bad neighbors, I'm not saying that's like, hey, here's a great idea. That's not the <laughs> point. The, the point is, the point is, do we functionally end up living as though God doesn't say, we, oh, of course I believe it. But do we really, do we really believe? No, no, he's still doing stuff. Do we expect that he's still doing stuff? Do we live in such a way that we open up our lives to the possibility that God, he's still at work? He's alive. When we gather, he's here, he's with us now. When we sing, we're not just singing into the air. He's actually here and he's delighting in our praises and our worship. He's still doing things. You know, what this particular teaching of Jesus was going to illustrate and what this part in the book of Acts, what Luke is doing is he's helping us see this. If that was all Jesus began to do, he's going to say, from this point forward, I'm going to show you how he's still working. This is what it's going to look like. He's going to go, this is the transition. Jesus was, this is how Jesus was working. He was, he was God incarnate. He took on flesh and bones and was walking, and people could see him and touch him and all those things. But now he's ascended to heaven, and here is how he's going to work. Jesus is going to give the instructions himself, and he says it like this as we pick it up. Verse 4, he says, on one occasion, he's describing this time after the resurrection when Jesus was meeting with his followers and teaching them and instructing them and helping them to know what's going to happen and how it's all going to work. He says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 6, he goes on and says, And then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I, I love those two verses for this reason. One, they're still struggling. They've got Jesus himself instructing them, and they're still struggling to understand how all this is going to work. And I love as well that Jesus says, Look, it's just not for you to know. Uh, there's things God's going to do that you don't need to worry about. It's his timing. It's his plans. It's his authority. Don't you worry about some of those things. God, the Father's going to do it, what he's going to do. But he does say this. But you, here's your business, he says. Here's what you got to know. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, here's what you got to know. Here is how it's going to work. Here is how Jesus, Luke is going to help us see. This is how Jesus is continuing the work that he began in Luke. 
that he is going to pour out his spirit in power on his followers, and we will then be his witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Jesus is going to continue his work through his followers who are given the Holy Spirit to empower us to live out that life. And we've got to wrap our minds around this because what we see is that in order to live the kind of life we see in 1 Peter 1, where there is a love for Christ even though we don't see him, where there is a joy that's just inexpressible and full of glory, it, it is not possible in our own strength. It is something that happens as we allow his power to work within us. It is not a, a new set of do's and don'ts and lists. It is about opening ourselves up to the power of God's spirit within us. When Jesus was having some of his final conversations with his disciples before he would go to the cross, he was telling them, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. I'm going to send to the Father. And they're like, But it's, it's going to be good because I'm going to send my spirit. And his followers were like, no, nah, that doesn't seem like a good idea. We don't want you to go. We don't want, like, we want you to be right next to us. But Jesus was like, trust me, it's going to be better. It's going to be to your advantage, he said that I send the Spirit. He's going to tell them that, you know what's better than me walking beside you is me giving my Spirit to live inside you, my power at work within you. You know, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. What we have to understand about this whole idea of the power that he's going to give us, this isn't a power like, great, now I'm in charge. I mean, we see them continuing to ask questions, and even at the Last Supper, the, his disciples, you know, hey, who's going to sit at your right? Who's going to sit at your left? They thought about power in some of those terms. They even asked Jesus at one point, can we send down fire from heaven on our enemies? That'd be all right. That's how they thought about power. Jesus is totally going to reshape some of this. And he says, you're going to receive power, but what he's talking about, it's not power like a position of authority. It's the energy it takes to achieve something. He's talking about the, the dunamis, the power, the energy that you have to have to accomplish something. Whenever you want to accomplish something, you, you need some power for it to happen. And it doesn't matter how, you know, kind of good something is. If it has no power, it can't do something. My, my son Levi loves uh, radio-controlled cars. I think radio-controlled cars are the biggest scam that was ever, you know, thrust upon children. <laughs> I used to love them when I was a kid, but do you know why? Because you charge the battery for something like seven hours. And don't go seven hours and five minutes or it will never work again, you know. And you put all this power into it, and then the thing lasts for like seven minutes. You're like, and you know what? That thing might be a great little car, but with no power, it's not going anywhere, is it? You know, we get power in today's world. You know, power has almost never been more critical. Like, you go into any building, and the first question, we're all like, okay, is there a power outlet somewhere? Is there, like, a USB hookup? Because if I'm going to be here for more than two hours, I won't be able to do anything on my phone if I don't have somebody. Power, the energy it takes for something to operate, the energy that's needed to achieve something. Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be like you will come to life. This power will be operative within you. And, and you get this sense that, that Jesus wants them to understand. You will never be able to be my witnesses or do the mission I have for you or live the life I have for you unless you let this power be at work within your life. He literally, it says, has to command them, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave. Can imagine these disciples, they've seen Jesus rise from the dead. Surely you, they would have thought, let's do it. Let's go. 
They probably grasped something of the mission Jesus has for them, that, what he told them before. And they, but Jesus like, no, 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 don't go try to do this. Don't try to live this life on your own. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Don't think that somehow you could accomplish this mission. There's only one way, my power, my spirit at work within you. You see, if we want to live a life of more, if we want to experience more joy and more love for Christ, these aren't things that we can do just by trying harder. We have to open ourselves up to allow more of his spirit to work within us. You know, the, the picture that, that he gives them as well, as he says, you're going to, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That you are going to be baptized. That I'm going to pour it out on you. Do you know, one of the things we know about uh, the disciples, in John chapter 20, uh, when Jesus is appearing to his followers and showing himself to be alive. In John chapter 20, uh, he appears to a group of them. They're in a room together. And he's going to show himself to them. And at the end of that, we even got the verses, we'll throw that up. At the end of this time in the room, he says to them, peace be with you. The Father, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to get about this kind of detail that I think is helpful for understanding what's going on in Acts chapter 1. His disciples had already received the Holy Spirit. He'd given them the Holy, his Spirit in them. And yet he tells them to wait, wait for this gift, wait, I'm going to baptize you, I'm going to drench you in it. And, and here's the point, the reason I like to highlight this is, I want you to know something. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're someone who's put your faith in Jesus, and maybe you find yourself going, have, do I have enough of the power? Have I been baptized? When you become a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You literally cannot believe in Christ without the Holy Spirit. The, the scriptures make that clear to us. What's happening in Acts chapter 1 is that God is going to pour out. He's going to drench them with his spirit. They already have the spirit. They, we, you know, some of his followers have been given it. But what's going to happen is he's going to empower them for this task of being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And he says, I'm gonna, you're going to be baptized with the spirit. And when you think of baptism with the Spirit, you know, when, when you see a baptism today, you come out of that water soaking wet. And the picture here is that his followers like, I want you to be saturated with my Spirit. If you're going to live the life and accomplish the mission, what I have for you, I want you to be saturated with my Spirit. And all that just to say, I think we should, we should never lose sight of this. There's always room for more. Every one of us, when we become followers of Christ, we are given God's Holy Spirit. But we should never stop thirsting for more of his spirit. We should never stop opening up more of our lives to his work within us. Because the goal, the dream, the vision that we get from these pictures is that followers of Christ would be drenched and soaking wet with the spirit of God in our lives. And if we find ourselves going, you know what, if I, I want more of the joy that he had for me. I want more of the, the love for Christ than I have now. It often means we need, to have, we need to allow him, we need more of his spirit at work within our lives. Sometimes we keep his, the work of the spirit in our lives kind of off in a corner. Like, yep, yeah, he's in my heart, but there's a lot of other stuff there too. And what he invites us to is to allow his spirit to drench and soak and saturate our lives. Do you know our... Uh, one of the things that I've never loved 
uh, in life. And for some reason, I don't know why I'm resistant to them. Uh, maybe it will change now that I'm 40. But I, I don't like umbrellas. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Like the forecast says it's raining. And, you know, my wife would be like, grab an umbrella, take an umbrella. I just don't, no, I don't really like the umbrella. I don't know if that's like a pride thing. I don't want to admit that I'm beholden to the rain. I'm just like, no, 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 I got this. You know, I can stay dry on my own. I can cut, I can bob, I can weave. I'll run fast. If you run fast, it can't hit you. You know, all those things. I just don't like umbrellas. I don't know what it is. But, you know, if you're like me, if you're, you're similar and you don't like to take an umbrella, that can really backfire. You know, there's some days where you're like, yeah, it's going to rain, but it's only going to rain for like one little chunk today. And so it's sort of like, hey, what are the chances I'll be outside when that downpour comes, you know? I probably won't. But then you, you find yourself, you're outside, it's mostly clear, but there's one of those downpours. It's just like, boom, in an instant, it just floods. And it takes maybe a minute, two minutes. It's just a downpour. And then the skies part. But guess what? Now you're soaking wet. And then has anybody ever been on this as well? And you're like, oh, it's actually just going to be kind of a light sprinkle today. I don't really need an umbrella. It's just going to be a light sprinkle. Like, I won't really get that wet. It's just going to kind of. But then you, you're on like a long walk. And even though it was only lightly sprinkling the whole time, by the time you got to the end of your walk, guess what? You're just as soaked as if it downpoured, right? Now, here's the thing. When we sometimes think about, and, and if you're a person who's been around faith and church and the scriptures for a while, one thing I know is that whenever we hear the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so many people come from different backgrounds and faith traditions, or you're brand new to faith and you just wonder, what does that even look like? Here's the point. If you imagine, sometimes you get soaked in an instant, and sometimes you have a gentle sprinkle, and you walk a long distance. The point isn't, what's the experience like? The point is, are you soaked in the Spirit of God? That's what Jesus is talking about here. And in fact, throughout the New Testament, you only see the phrase baptism of the Spirit, I think, one or two more times. Uh, but you'll see over and over different words about how we walk with the Spirit of God, that we are filled and keep on being filled with the Spirit. Receive the Spirit, you know. We see in Acts 2 the pouring out of the Spirit. The point is this. If we are to live the life that, that Jesus invites us to, we're invited to be soaking wet with his presence. We're invited to just be just flooded. That's what we're called to. And what we see is that as well in the New Testament, it's not really that this is like a one-time thing and never happens again, just like it wasn't even one time for these guys and Jesus breathed on them in a room. It was like sit, wait, and constantly seek him. Hunger, thirst for more of him. You know, I want to leave you with, with a phrase around this, and it's the power of uh, the, the waiting for empowerment and the power of waiting. What we see, I think, in Acts chapter 1 is Jesus saying, I want you to wait for my empowerment. Don't try to live the life that God has for you without being empowered by his spirit. It will never work. None of us can do it. We have to wait for empowerment. We need his spirit to be that power, that current that's what flows through us. And we also see in this chapter the power of waiting. The power of waiting. These believers, they were all, they gathered, they were waiting. We get these pictures of them waiting for this gift that, that, that Jesus promised, the Father promised them. They're gathered together. When we get to the, the, this unique outpouring in Acts 2, we'll be looking at over this time. They're all together. They're, they're waiting. Can I tell you something? There is incredible power in waiting on God, in waiting on him and seeking him for more of his spirit to be at work in your life. 
Can I tell you something? Waiting is not something that when the history of the 21st century in the West is written, it will not say, these were people who were great at waiting. <laughs> they just, in all history, great at waiting. This is a challenge. You know, we are used to instantaneous in every area of our lives. You know, my son's seven, when we take a photo on the phone, what's the first thing he always says? Because he's growing up in this world. Can I see the picture? And I always want to say, no, you can't. Because when I was a kid, if I wanted to see that picture, I had to wait. I had to wait till we found like a photo film developing place and then drop it off. And it was a breakthrough when it was ready in an hour. That was like the biggest breakthrough in human history that you didn't have to wait more than an hour. So no, you can't because I'm still bitter about my own. I know it seems like you can, but no. We just, we're so used to a world where it's like, I want it, I got it. And in the scriptures, the rhythm is the exact opposite. The scriptures are filled with waiting on God. They're filled with Jesus saying, wait. Why can't you give us the give us this great gift? Jesus, give it to me now. We're ready. Wait. Wait for the, the gift my father promised. And, and, and in, throughout the New Testament, you'll see it over and over again. People, believers, gathering, praying, worshiping, seeking, waiting on God. Jesus telling his followers, ask, seek, knock. Why can't it just be instant? You know, no, wait. In his book, Joy Unspeakable, Lloyd-Jones writes of this idea. He says, you know what? And he's writing, I think, in the 50s, 60s kind of era. And he says, you know what? One of the greatest challenges we have as believers now is we don't, we don't pray anymore. He says in the olden days, he's writing, he says, people used to, they used to pray. They would wait on God. And he used this phrase, and I read it, and he said, we don't like to pray anymore. We just like to send little telegrams to God. And I was like, oh, man, what would he say today? Because we took the telegram and we traded it for a tweet, 140 characters. At least the telegram was long, as I understand at times. But we're a people far more comfortable with, yeah, God, I want more of you. What else is on today? And we don't wait. God, that was great. I loved it. You know, it was awesome, a great time at church. And now oh, my phone's got red dots all around it clamoring for my attention. Do we wait on him? Is it possible that if we feel like, I feel like, I'm, you know, I know this life in the spirit should lead to a greater love for Christ. I know that it should lead to deeper joy despite my circumstances. But I'm just not, is it possible we need to wait on God a little bit more for the empowerment of his spirit? To be willing to sit with him and just say, Lord, I want more of you. I want to be soaked. I want to be saturated with your presence. I want more of your spirit empowering my life. And to know this, there is power in waiting. There's power in waiting on him. You know, through this series, my hope is this, that, that every one of us would be willing to just say, you know what, Lord, you know, we often, we lead up to events like, like Christmas and Easter. I think what leading up to the, the day we celebrate Pentecost is, is a great time to, to be willing to celebrate and say, Lord, I, I want more. I want more of you. I know you aren't. It's not that you were just doing things back then. You're still at work through your spirit today. Lord, I want more of the work of your spirit in my life. I want more of your empowerment in my life. I want to wait on you. I want to seek you. 
If there's spaces where you want to say to me, you know what, you're not letting me in here. I want to hear that. I want to give those areas of my life over to you because I just want more of you empowering me for the life that you have called me to, that you dream for me. And I want to encourage you today to maybe just, just pray this prayer and to track over this next few weeks. You know, when we gather on Sundays like this, there's always two ways to gather. We can come and go, it's Sunday, so that's what I do. And we're going to sing some songs, and so I'm going to sing those songs. And then that's it, you know. And then we'll listen, you know, we'll have somebody talk for a little bit, and I'm going to go out. There's, you can go through it, tick in the boxes. You can say, Lord, this is a time. I look forward to it in my week, and I can't wait to go and to gather and to wait on you, to carve out this space, to, to worship you, not to sing songs to you, to worship you as we come together in your presence, Lord. You know, over this few weeks to be doing that. And maybe in your own times to, to find space in your life where you're going to wait on him. Say, Lord, I want more. Do you want that joy? Lord, I want that joy. I want to be somebody who loves you. Would you let more of your spirit be at work, operative, empowering my life? In fact, I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite the team to come back up. And you can stand up, and we're just going to today, I want to just pray a real simple prayer. Just inviting God to do more in us, more in our lives, more of his spirit over these next few weeks. And if that's a, a prayer you want to pray, I encourage you just to maybe open your hands in front of you. In fact, you just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And this is a moment just to begin to wait on him. Maybe just to hold your hands out in front of you. Just a way of saying, Lord, here I am. I'm open to you. I want more of you. Lord, as we stand with our hands open, our desires that this is symbolic of hearts that are open to you. Lord, we stand here as people who want more, more of you in our lives. Lord, we want to be more soaked in your presence, more saturated with you. We want more of your power alive and at work within us. That, Jesus, you could continue your work in this world through each of our lives. That our lives be so soaked and saturated with you that they just bear witness to who you are that they bear witness to a, a whole different kind of life that is possible through the empowerment of your spirit. And so, Lord, today, we welcome the work of your spirit in each one of us. We welcome it. We seek you for more. Thank you, Lord. gifts you give are so great. Lord, I pray that there would be an increased release of joy in our hearts and in our lives. An increase in our love for you. That though we have not seen you, Lord, we would love you. Let our belief be strengthened. Let joy overflow. Not because of us, because of who you are.
thank you, our Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said.